Hey, do you teach yoga? Have you ever trained to lead yoga classes to be a yoga therapist? Have you ever owned a yoga studio? Maybe even just wondered what it was like for the women and men up there in front of the room on their mats, leading you through endless Surya Namaskars, down dogs, and pranayamas galore? Well, these are their stories and mine. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, a 20-year yoga teacher, 10-year yoga therapist, yoga studio owner, and co-founder of a yoga-focused nonprofit. I've done a lot in the yoga world over the last 20 years, pretty much everything except had a water cooler. You know, a place to share stories, talk about struggles, successes, and find other people who do the same thing that I do. Welcome to Working in Yoga, a podcast and substitute water cooler for yoga folks to connect and build community, to share our unique profession, our challenges, and our journeys with the world. Hey friends, welcome to Working in Yoga. Today on the podcast, I'm pushing the discussion about online learning forward with my friend Zaria Rochester. Now, Zaria and I know each other in real life, as you will quickly hear, and she has spent years learning yoga both online and offline. So I asked, is there a difference? Do you find that one kind of yoga training is better or more impactful than another? This is something I think about a lot, especially since 2020, where we all shifted into online teaching for a time. What makes a skillful online teacher? Is there learning happening in the room, even when it's virtual? If you head back to our second ever episode with my friend and Iyengar yoga studio owner, Steph Tenser, she talked about the clear impact that online learning was having on her students. And I think her message still stands. Online learning can be powerful and it makes us more accessible. But what about synchronous versus asynchronous learning? Are the videos on demand that you get from those $99 Become a Yoga Teacher courses that we see advertised online the same as having a synchronous learning experience where we can interact with our teachers? Zaria and I talk about that too. So stay tuned and take a listen. In the meantime, follow or subscribe to the podcast if you would please. You know why. It helps to tell other people who are also yoga pros that this podcast is out there. That brings more of us together, which is something that I really love. And as always, thank you to our sponsor, Sunlight Streams. Sunlight runs an online self-care blog, and until the end of the year, we are talking about how to care for yourself at your workplace. That's an especially difficult conversation when your job is wellness, like ours is, so we will get into that too. Grab the latest blog at www.thesunlightexperience.com backslash blog. Now, take a listen to my podcast with Zaria Rochester. Hey friends, welcome to Working in Yoga. Okay, so this week is going to be a very interesting conversation, I think, for you all to listen to because my friend Zaria Rochester is on the podcast this week. And she and I know each other in person, like, well, like we've had coffee so many times and talked about so many things in the yoga universe. So Zari is on the podcast this week to talk about online learning, because this is something we've been conversing about off and on on this podcast for a while. So Zara, Zaria, tell everybody who you are. And hi, it's nice to see you. <laughs> Hello, thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm Zaria Rochester. My pronouns are they and she. Um, I am a yoga teacher. I am currently uh, in training to be a yoga therapist and I study um, Ayurveda and Vedic astrology as well. Uh, and I'm also a reentry services coordinator at a nonprofit in Iowa City, Iowa, where I am that supports uh, folks that are returning uh, from incarceration coming to Johnson County. Uh, so a lot of the nexus between community organizing work and yoga is is kind of where I live. And it's really fun to be here with you because as Rebecca said, we know each other quite well and we could talk about this stuff for as long as Zoom is in existence. <laughs> <laughs> I got another podcast to record later today, so we're going to have to hold it down for the like, it can't be three hours. <laughs> Okay, but I also want to let's slide first into online learning. Can you tell me a little bit how you trained throughout your career as a yoga professional and where you train? Some on person, some online. Can we start there? 
Yeah, so mine has been quite a, a mixed bag of both. I did my first 200 hour teacher training in 2017, 2018, and that was fully in person here in Iowa City. Uh, and then there's been some supplemental workshops that I've done, some training with teachers at conferences that I've gone to that have been in person, but the rest of my actual programs of learning that I've been through with yoga and Ayurveda and Vedic astrology or yoga therapy, I, I mean to say, um, have been virtual. So a lot of my training, the brunt of my training has been online. So I, I first and foremost want your opinion about this because a lot of us who spent like 10, 15, 20 years in the industry, we all trained in person because there were no virtual options. And now we're like really crappy about virtual training. Like we all love to get on our podcasts and on our high horses about how there's gotta be student to teacher transmission and it all has to be a particular way. And as you and I have had this discussion before, like I feel like A, that makes new teachers who are coming up in the industry who may have trained online feel crappy. And also, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that I believe that transmission of teacher and student must be in person. What are your thoughts? So I really love that you mentioned the feeling crappy part because I'm gonna start there. <laughs> because, yeah, please do. Yeah, because there is that, that idea like coming up uh, in yoga world after 2015, there was this idea that what it, it was supposed to look like this traveling to this place and doing the whole experience where you have the immersion if you didn't do that and didn't have that model to follow that there was something missing so and because like also like pre 2020 and pre COVID era even like academic learning online was kind of like you know scoffed at seen as like not legit and that i think was really relevant and present in training in general too it just didn't seem like it was as real as as legitimate but as i w went forward and and continued going on that really went away the 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 feeling bad because i could see that my skills were getting better i could see that i was training online and wasn't um wasn't actually falling behind was still meeting people was st was still like cultivating a practice and like continuing to grow in that way and the, the biggest thing was that I wouldn't have been able to do anything that I'm doing right now without the opportunity to to train online. So I, I never had the the uh, capacity to spend money on travel and then take time off of work and then to be away. So the fact that I was able to be here in Iowa City, but still train someplace out of Colorado, train from someplace out of Florida, train from someplace out of California, that was then able to let me not only stay here and do the work where I live um, as I was learning, but was still able to have really good training processes. So I kind of before hopping on here was thinking about that journey too, about like when I shifted over from feeling deficient from being in like from doing a lot of online training and feeling like that was bad versus being like, no, this is still really legitimate and really rigorous training. I'm still showing up and sitting in front of a screen and my attention is, is there for a period of time. And I, I really wanna to touch on the transference part that we talk about in yoga, because we can, it, it still comes through through Zoom. Yeah. It still comes through through Zoom. And I've had the experiences of being in person with a teacher and sitting down with my awareness that the next weekend I was going to be on a Zoom call in a training and if I'm sitting here watching the person, I'm still looking in the person's eyes on the screen, it's still coming through the same way. So I think it's a bit silly that we, you know, if you really get into yoga and working with the subtle body and prana, that we can pull prana and energy from all of these sources, but it wouldn't work through training on Zoom. I think that that gap doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And I, my experience hasn't shown that that it doesn't work either. So yeah. Yeah, go yeah. Ahead. I, I mean, I'm thinking of like, so you and I have been in person, I'm thinking about this yoga conference we were both at last year where there was a teacher there, like a big name teacher who was there who had 50 people in the room. I mean, you can't tell me that's any more personal if you're one of 50 people in a room versus one of 50 people on Zoom. It's still 50 people. It's still not a one-on-one -on -one experience. So I'm like, I'm curious how like, 
like what is more personal for most people's thoughts of like, oh, if I'm one of 50 in a room, it's different. Is it? I mean, I, I don't know if it is. Yeah, I think it's interesting too, in terms of the difference between, I do think that they are different experiences though. So like in a room group setting, I feel like there is something that you can feel into more of the energy of the group that kind of feels more of like a cohesion. Um, but I feel like a lot of facilitators these days too encourage people to feel into all of the other people that are present with them in a Zoom space. But what's different about the Zoom space is that you are very much in your own energy, which for me has been helpful in some ways because I've been able to really feel into like, okay, what do I think about what I'm learning right now? There's not the pressure to behave in a certain way. There's no, like, there's no, none of those group dynamics to potentially tend to which can also be really present in like a spiritual space or a practice space with yoga, where you feel like you are supposed to be receiving the teachings or reacting to the teachings in a certain way, instead of just allowing yourself to have the experience. Whereas I'm in my office at my house on Zoom, I can just allow myself to have the experience and, yeah. and be still in my own energy as I'm absorbing that. Um, and as I'm learning, as I'm processing what I'm learning. So I think there's there are different experiences that both have uh, a lot to offer in different ways. Yeah, I, I agree. It doesn't mean that because they're different, it doesn't mean that one is better or worse than the other. They're just different experiences. And I also feel like, and I don't, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts about this, but I feel like, especially those of us who are, who are teaching, who are from my generation of teachers, you know, those 15, 20 years in, it's a skill set we don't yet have. It makes us uncomfortable. It forces us to sit with our discomfort. And instead of saying, I'm uncomfortable because learning new things is uncomfortable, we just say it's bad. Thoughts? <laughs> Thoughts, for sure. So I did my teacher training, right? My first one. And then I went off and, and was a summer camp counselor at a, at a summer camp and then came back and really like, like took my deep breath in was about to really start teaching yoga. And then COVID literally happened within the same two weeks that that was about to happen. <laughs> so my, I got like a few classes under my belt before I started teaching online, but then I was immediately teaching to just the green light. I wasn't even doing zoom meetings. It was like webinars. So then I had to start teaching in a room by myself to the green light, watching yeah. myself. And it made me work through all of my discomfort of a being seen on camera, seeing my body in the practice, because um, because I hadn't had a practice of looking at myself in a mirror a whole lot before then. Um, listening to the recording and then hearing my voice, having to deal yeah. with this how I sound. Um, I had to really so that looking. I hated that. I felt so awful when that was happening. Like this is not the yoga experience I'm supposed to be having. Like I'm supposed to be, you know, on the stage. There's supposed to be all the people there. What is that? Where are the festivals at? Like what is happening? Like so, all of the ideas, all of the fantasies were like just crumbling down as I was just like in my living room teaching, and it felt very not glamorous. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, it's it not. not it was not the fantasy that I had <laughs> that I was <laughs> thought was going to be unfolding. And so, but I see I see that period of time now and see all that discomfort that I was going through as absolutely correct. Like I'm really glad that I went through all of that discomfort because now I'm able to be on a video and see myself and hear myself and and kind of look for what I would be, what I'm actually conveying when I'm teaching and like being able to actually go back and listen to myself teach a class. I wasn't even able to do that back, yeah. back in the day. Like I hated it so much. I was like, no, I can't do this. It was too vulnerable. I couldn't be there with myself in that way yet. So having, oh. to, work through, yeah, having to work through all of that um, brought me to do a completely different place. And I now have such appreciation for that because I had to, what it made me do is I had to trust in what I was teaching. I had to trust what was coming through because there was not anybody in the room responding to what I was doing. I was getting no feedback. And so yeah. it was like really crushing for a while at the beginning because it was like that, what you know, the people telling you thank you, that sweet moment like after class where like at our studio, you know, we pour, we, we top everybody's tea off a little yeah. bit where there's still some silence. I didn't get any of that. The screen shut off and I was there and my heart just went boom, you know, and I felt, and I think that at that time there was also a lot more collective grieving and isolation yes. that was happening for sure. Yeah. Um, but on a personal level, I had to really trust in what I was teaching without any feedback. So I, I had, which was absolutely something I needed to do and cultivate was learning how to actually trust myself and trust my own voice. Um, so I was made to do that. So I hated that green light 
four years ago, but right now I, I, I don't hate that green light as much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've said it exactly, exactly right. I mean, there is that point at the beginning where, oh my gosh, when I was recording those videos, like March, 2020, April, 2020, when we were all online and that was where we had to go. Oh, I just put them out there. I was like, whatever it looks like, I couldn't watch it either. Like I couldn't, it was so uncomfortable. But again, just because, see, in, in my opinion, we have a full industry of people who have a lot of trauma and folks who have experienced trauma are very good at reading a room. It's the skill that we all had from our childhoods that kept us safe. Thank you, body, for keeping me safe. Thank you, brain and nervous system for keeping me safe. And now we have these jobs as adults that utilize that particular skill to read a room to help folks transform their lives. But we've taken away this essential part of what we consider our job, which is how we can read a room and move what we're doing based on what's in the room, because we're not in the room with people anymore. It doesn't mean that what we're doing is worse or not good enough or just, you know, a band-aid. It just means that we have to use different skills. Mm -hmm. We have to learn. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> in the same way that we, you know, that spaces like ours that have moved away from hands-on adjustment as well yeah. it made us get it made us get more skilled at queuing it made us get more yes. skilled with our language that we we're using how can we be more precise what i'm saying obviously isn't being picked up by the room what do i need to do to change instead of just going up and physically shifting somebody's body instead like yeah. I, oh i have to work a little bit harder and become a little bit more skillful and going back to the transmission piece i think that we're not, so if we're in a, in a room, maybe we're responding if we can see people's squares, but even a lot of times you'll be in a training too. And most people don't, you know, it doesn't feel right to be practicing with the camera on. So they'll turn the yeah. camera off. So yeah. sometimes you are still just broadcasting to names on blank, you know, Zoom screens. Yes. And so from that place too, it's kind of a question of, well, if I'm not able to react in real time to what's happening with the folks in the room, that again, just kind of makes us be, have to be more like in touch and grounded in ourselves to then just trust what is coming through or what we had prepared for class. Um, Ooh, there's that word, yes. What prepared. we prepared, yes, what prepared. we had prepared. So the, the ability of being in the room is yes, we can shift on a dime to meet yes. the needs of what's happening in the space. If we're just broadcasting to a bunch of people, perhaps there's, you know, some people have like 200 people on their Zoom classes these days, yes. like that's wild. And that they're just broadcasting to a whole, whole huge group of people. So that from that point in time, they just have to be grounded in what they're going to say, because no matter what they're saying, it's not going to meet 200 people exactly the way that they want it to, but it might meet 150 of them. And the other 50 will maybe realize something that they didn't like from it. And so even from that point, there's just the trust in what we prepared and teaching from what's coming out um, without the need. It's almost liberating in a way too, because then we're not being forced to shift to yeah. what everybody else is expecting to us, which all of us folks with trauma and people-pleasing tendencies are so good at and are, are just hungry to do all of the time. Yes, that preparedness piece, I think is one of the pieces I wanna talk about because when we're, like you said, when we're in person with our students, like you can walk in a room and just be like, all right, what do you guys want? Like, and you'll see people's bodies and you can see the tension and you can see the, okay, I can tell everybody needs to relax today. So that's what we're gonna do. You don't have that advantage as a teacher when you're online. So the prepared piece is really key. I think that's something that we have to push even further. If you're online, you've got to know what you're going to say. You have to have an agenda. You have to have a point of view because you aren't getting that real time feedback the way that you would in person. Again, it's just a skill set shift. But honestly, that skill set is the skill set that makes it easier to sell corporate trainings, higher education trainings. Like if you can go online, you can go online to corporations and do that if you're willing to cultivate the skill. It also is a skill that means we're vastly more employable to anybody anywhere in the world if you can get on Zoom and teach well. Yeah, absolutely. And I love what you said too about being able to then offer to all of these different spaces and audiences because it's also the idea that yoga teachers have to get really good at translation yeah um, of all of the different kinds yes. um whether we're speaking to a very traditional space and we're speaking in terms of yoga and gunas and ayurvedic language and all of that or we are in a very secular 
corporate space and we have to use more science words or find a different way to meet people yes. that are of a general population. It's still that that work and skill of language and finding ways to translate in a way that's authentic to us and still gets the 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 practice across to the folks that we're trying to serve. Okay, so I want to shift just slightly. So your original 200 was in person, you did a 300 hour online and you're doing your yoga therapy training also online. So I want to talk a little bit about this synchronous versus asynchronous learning. So the videos that people watch at any time of day versus you sitting in that Zoom room with your cohort of people where you're able to, you know, have a back chat with somebody or like break out into breakout rooms. How much of that went on in like your 300 in yoga therapy? Were there both asynchronous and synchronous learning? Was it primarily one or the other? Go. Yeah, this is a really good question because I think this is like the other dimension of, well, how like how effective are online trainings? Yes. Because if you I think that there is a very different experience from a training that is completely asynchronous where you watch all of the videos at your own time and that is the full curriculum it's pre recorded versus being able to have that experience where you have um, a mix of asynchronous and a mix of synchronous learning where everybody's there in the Zoom space. So to answer your question, both of mine and all of mine so far have been uh, a lot of, of the hybrid of, of both of those. So some asynchronous learning, some pre, uh, pre-recorded things and then study materials at home, and then live things where we come into the space for lectures and then we come into the space separately for like group experiences. So that in, in itself, I think is really skillful because I, think that or including the the synchronous and the time for group meetings I think is really skillful because for me personally I'm one of the people that likes to like purchase courses tries to get a third of the way through it and then I'm like on to the next thing and forget about it and it's sitting there and I haven't done it so I can't imagine that if I hadn't had something that I needed to like show up for uh kind of be in in the room also like the relationships also encourage deeper investment in yeah. in what's happening um and I we wouldn't get to learn. We wouldn't get to hear all the wisdom from all of the people in our cohorts if there were if we didn't have those. So, while I love being tucked away and studying and coming to my own conclusions for hours and days at a time, I think for the the trainings, it, it was really special for me to be able to have the mix of synchronous uh, and asynchronous. And I I really do hesitate though to say that there couldn't be a teacher that went through a 200 hour training, completely asynchronous, completely pre-recorded, and to tell them that they then aren't legitimate or that their training wasn't effective. It depends on how the teacher came out of it. What if they had years of all these other kinds of facilitation experience and then had, had been yes. reading yoga for 10 years and then finally did that training? Yeah, they're probably still gonna be pretty good. So I think that that's just completely dependent on person to person. I, I, I just don't think that it's uh, appropriate to kind of label anything as better or not. And it's also very much about learning styles and how people feel situated and how what makes people feel competent after a training. Yeah, because there are plenty of people who've done all the quote unquote white right steps and walked out of a training and still not felt competent. Like yeah. I mean, I, I know there are people out there listening who are groaning having had that experience. Like so many people are just like but I don't know if I can teach. I've done all the stuff. My 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 yoga teacher trainer said I could teach, but I just don't know. I don't feel like I can. Mm -hmm. And and it's interesting that you say that because you're right. One isn't necessarily better than the other. I'm going to try on an idea and see yeah. you're going to tell me how you feel about it. So let's say we have that teacher who had a completely 100% asynchronous experience, but she had she he they had been reading and studying for several years had taken classes gone through the whole thing and would you feel like what would be missing is that it would be difficult for that teacher to slide from virtual experience into an in-person class in the same way that it is difficult for people who've had only in-person training to slide into a virtual class maybe it's just that the skill sets don't match so we need to have specific training in both you know yeah um i think it would either way it would be an ex 
experience and a practice in cultivating a new skill. So it yeah. might be harder. It might be harder to move in because there wasn't any, if you were just, I, yeah, if I was just watching videos for that whole period of time, then all of a sudden there was a room in front of me and I hadn't practiced using my words or practiced yeah. speaking or practiced talking about yoga in front of a room. Um, that might be pretty jarring for a while because then you start to realize like, oh, I haven't, none of this is practiced in my language. None of these neural pathways are kind of flowing in how I speak. Um, so I feel like that would be hard. But what came to mind too is when you asked that question is actually the, the difference between having access to a teacher that can help us sort through confusion when we're learning yoga. I think that the, first, the, the teacher aspect is really important. So that's what I think what would break my heart the most if I had done through that type of experience, um, again, not saying that it's bad or worse, but that I wouldn't have had a teacher to then be like, wait, this doesn't make any sense to me. Wait, yoga doesn't make any sense in the Western context. What are we doing here? Like, what does this mean? Um, like, so the, without somebody to then, which is why the teacher student relationship is so important in the yoga tradition yeah. is that somebody's been through the path and is able to help you sort through the inevitable contradictions and confusions and all of the the messiness of the vastness of the yoga space and so but what if we found a really good teacher in our community that could then help us do that even if that wasn't where we did the training from what if we still sought out other teachers and like and, and found other ways to do that um i think that can happen but it is i think really helpful to have time with the teacher that put together the curriculum that you're learning from because they brought with it a whole perspective, a whole understanding and a whole idea and an intention of what they wanted to deliver in the training as well. So, okay. So well, let's talk about, so yoga Alliance, just, Hey, yoga Alliance, how are you doing today? You look pretty. <laughs> <laughs> I like your outfit. You're doing great. We're just talking about you. <laughs> so they put out these new training guidelines about how much of the training for a 200 hour yoga teacher is synchronous versus asynchronous. And it was something like 15% of the training had to be synchronous. Do you feel like that aligned with the training you had that it was only about 15% synchronous? Was it way more synchronous? Like, was it 50-50 where you're watching 50% videos and 50% you were in those like live Zoom cohorts? Do you think 15% is enough? Because those 20-year teachers out there are like, no! <laughs> like, that seems like a very little period of time for a lot of us, but I would love your thoughts because none of us trained online. So what do we know? Yeah. So did you say 15% was required to be synchronous? Only 15%? Correct. Is what I'm saying. Mm. My gut is saying that's not enough. Honestly, my gut would be saying more synchronous from my, yeah. my personal, my personal opinion and my, my initial like gut check would be like 15%. I'd want a lot more time. I'd want a lot more time in person. My trainings had way more 15, way more than 15% synchronous, uh, synchronous. There was very, there was a very small percentage of it that was synchronous. And it was mostly about explaining topics that we were then going to be going into, like getting the lay of the land yeah. was the synchronous part or was the asynchronous part, excuse me. Yeah. And then the, the synchronous joining together was like the actual Dharma talks, lectures, lessons, yeah. digging into material with cohort mates and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think that, yeah, that's, that's interesting. And for those of you listening who aren't familiar with those terms, synchronous and asynchronous learning, we're borrowing from higher education systems here, right? So asynchronous learning would be what we would call video on demand. It's those videos that you can click on and watch at any time of the day or night and learn a topic on synchronous learning. That would be our live learning. That's these Zoom cohorts, the things where you're joining live, the teacher is live and everything is happening in real time with your teacher. So if you're wondering what terminology we're using there, asynchronous learning, pre-recorded content, synchronous learning, live learning. Yeah. Yes. 15% does not seem like a lot. It does not seem like a lot. I would say that there can be a lot knowing, I'll speak from my personal experience. If I had a training where most of it was pre-recorded, I have a tendency to get distracted, right? So I, I think that there is, there is less chance that I would engage fully with the material. And 
we can't say with going through online trainings, there isn't also some temptation to just kind of skip and say that you did something because you want the certification at the end. I've seen that desire in myself that I want to just hurry up through this and have to slow myself down to be like, but do you want to learn or do you yeah. want a piece of paper? Like, do you want do you want the piece of paper or do you want to actually absorb and be able to either in person or online transmit what you've learned? So that had to be the really important question for me. But I don't think that somebody probably could still have a really good experience if they were really dedicated, really wanted to show up. But I would say that it would be lacking if it was only 15%. Um, I, I, do, I do think there is something to both live in-person training and online training that is universal. And that is you will get out of it what you put into it. Yeah. So if you are somebody who is dedicated to studying, you are dedicated to learning material, you are reading all the things that you're learning is telling you, your teacher is telling you to read, like you will just by inherent nature of effort and energy exchange be getting more out of something, whether it is online or in person. I mean, that's true in both venues, right? Like yeah. there is always going to be somebody in an in-person training who does less work than the other people. Yes. Yeah. Always. That's really, that's a, always. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that like a, an area that you and I love to talk about a lot too, is like with the whole conversation, stop trying to pedestalize yourself over another person who had a different experience. Yeah. Like everybody comes to the, in the same in a different everybody comes to it in a different way so you know also being able then if you see that there might be something lacking then maybe one of us can offer something that might fill in gaps for people that had a training that was missing something that might need to, to supplement so then that's where we have a continuing education and that's where all of us offer all of these different things to each other but <laughs> I, I just really in all of the yoga and all of our spaces that we exist in, like, like just the lessening of the trying to to the one upmanship is not necessary. No. Um, it's not necessary. No, you're great. You're doing great. And so is your neighbor. <laughs> you're doing great, too. <laughs> so let's talk continuing education. OK, so you've you've taken you're now in yoga therapy training. And that is also a virtual experience. And I know one of the things that is a piece of any yoga therapy program is mentorship. And we've sort of tiptoed around this topic a little bit in this conversation, but I see that as something that is truly lacking industry-wide is that those of us who have been here are also not mentoring new people. Um, so, so I'm curious your thoughts on your experience with mentorship, how you feel like we could be offering that more industry wide, because I, while I didn't prep you for this question, I feel like you have thoughts. I know you have thoughts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I have thoughts, um, thoughts, feelings. Uh, I think. So what was, I, I think the interesting part about the 200 hour model the interesting part right um the part that i'm going to talk about right now is that we go through the process and then we don't really have a somebody available to us maybe you can text the person maybe you have a relationship with the teacher that you trained with and they are willing to do that but like you said it is not like a mentorship process so then a lot of us are kind of out here like looking around for all of these different teachers. And then we see one teacher for a thing and then we see another teacher for a thing and then we see another teacher for a thing. And a lot of us are kind of in this like floating area of like, I really feel like I need a teacher. I really want somebody to learn from and study with, but I have no idea where to go. What's the right person? What's the best person? And there might be an element of kind of like waiting for that person to come along when the time is right. But also the actual, I think the idea that students go into a 200 hour teacher training, not knowing that you will need a mentor after your 200 hour to then continue to help you along the path, because the 200 hour is just the beginning and you're kind of jumping off into this whole world of all of this wild stuff that's going to happen and going to be very, very confusing. And we're not prepared for that. We're not prepared for that, that end of it and that side of it at all. So going through like yoga therapy and like Ayurveda training is different because there is practicum 
and mentorship built into the program. So then I've been able to actually sit in front of people one-on-one, -on -one, do work with folks, and then get feedback. So what that looks, so then like, how do we like implement that more? Are there people that are just out there kind of not leading trainings necessarily, or maybe they are, but then also are more specifically offering like post 200 hour mentorship for teachers that are like fresh, new, really trying to get going. Um, and, and what kind of like specific designation might be required for that, right? Is kind of is kind of the question in terms of like building it into yeah. the 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 industry and like building it into our like training processes. Um, I think just first the acknowledgement that I I want people to go into their training knowing that they're going to absolutely need that. Because then it starts to feel like a failure too, if after your 200 hour, you have the certificate, you're supposed to be able to do all the things and you feel completely helpless and completely like deficient because you're starting, because it's just your starting point, but you don't know that it's just your starting point. Yeah, I do sometimes feel like we train in a way that like, we're having people stand on the side of the pool and you spend 200 hours on the side of the pool learning yeah. how to swim. And then at the end of the 200 hours, somebody just pushes you in. Yeah. good luck we've yeah. you've learned everything you need push <laughs> like i mean maybe you taught that community class at a studio or maybe you taught a few other classes during your 200 hours sure there's some 200 hour teacher training programs where there's required like teaching time yeah. but it's like so little that amount of time is so little because 200 hours is so little anyway yeah. you don't have time to do a lot of practice teaching you know, like, what if it was 200 hours of learning and then 50 hours of practice teaching and then you go, yeah, what a yeah. different experience people would be having? Because I don't even necessarily think you need more learning time in 200 hours at the beginning, you need more practice teaching time. Like, would you have signed up for a program that was like that if you were training to be a 200 hour teacher and i know you had a really wonderful experience with your 200 hour like i did luckily that's really yeah i will say that i had a really lovely 200 hour training which is yes. not the exclusive experience yeah would you have been excited to have 50 hours of practice time before you went out teaching would that do you feel like that would have made you feel more comfortable in it as a person that usually sits in the front of the classroom um i would have really <laughs> i would have really enjoyed that. Yeah, I would have really enjoyed that because because after the I, I would have wanted to go through and then talk about all of the things that were going on in my head during the class and really get to have that exchange with with yeah. the teacher in the same way that I, I've always been like really uh, eager but afraid for that feedback on a paper but really want it because ultimately I do want to improve right yeah. and so yeah. in the same way with teaching that would have helped me um, a lot. And also you could even think of it in terms of like my experience, like in, in restaurants, like training people in restaurants, there wasn't ever a point in time, I, I would go through the process with people that I was training, and whatever process we were doing on at work, you don't, hopefully rest, you know, this does happen, but you're not just throwing people that have never worked a register or talked to people in a customer service setting into the busiest time, right away, usually there would be some training before that. Um, so it's the whole, yeah, being thrown into the pool without actually having any practice swimming with the floaties at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So the mentorship I think, I think would be great. And I think that, that if that was, was built in in a more conscious way, I think that that would do uh, students and new teachers uh, a great deal of good. I agree. Like, and this is one of the things that has been in my brain about pieces of the process of being a student and then shifting into a teacher that I feel like is missing. So as you know, in the studio, we have a studentship program, which I feel like is one of the pieces that is missing. Like, like the only option to learn more after a one hour yoga class is to do a 200 hour teacher training. And so <laughs> quite extreme. I, yeah. I know, I know, which is like such a bizarre, like, how's this the conclusion we've reached? But like, so, you know, we have like this 30 hour studentship thing that happens where you can kind of dip your toe in and see if it's something interesting. And then it would be interesting to have another like 50 hour mentorship thing on the other end of a 200 hour teacher training program, like designed for new yoga teachers. Like then what happens? Like the, the you've got your certificate, somebody has, you know, taught you where your scapula is and what the trichinasana is supposed to look like 
now what before you get out there how do what is your this is the question i hear most often because i typically am not training 200 hour teachers people graduate from 200 hour teacher training programs and then they come and find me at my studio and go i don't know how to make this a job yeah like that's the question everybody asks is how is this your job I think I feel like you asked me that question. <laughs> like I think I've asked you that question maybe once a month the entire time that I've known you. <laughs> How is this your job? How is this my job? And then it's like, oh, and I guess for me though, like that's when yoga therapy made a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, yes. Knowing what, knowing what I wanted to do, but again, that's not that's not everybody's inclination. Right. What if you do want to just teach group classes? I mean, yeah. I had I had this conversation literally last week with a new teacher at the studio and he came to me and he was like so how is this your job like how is this what you're doing i am a newly trained teacher and i have all these other interests you know um this particular person is interests in you know the therapeutic application but also in physicality because training physically like how do i make that intersection happen and i was like and, and as he and I were talking, I was like, oh, there really isn't anybody sitting down to tell people what potential job prospects there are in this industry either. Like, as he's talking about how these things intersect, and I was like, you know, the Cubs, the baseball team, for those who are the Chicago Cubs, for those of you who are not U.S.-based or Midwest-based, the Cubs have a mindfulness trainer on their team. And this person is teaching them yoga asana, but also meditation and how to keep your head in the game. Like that's also a job. Did you know that? <laughs> like, yeah, the, the, a while back in bodyphilosophy.com did a like future of the yoga teacher summit and somebody that I believe that you're familiar with that has the, the yoga talent agency. Oh yeah. Ava. Yes. She had said something about, yoga teachers needing to know that if they want to shift over and build something full time as a yoga teacher, you can expect a five to seven year lead time. Yes. That's how long it takes to build. Nobody has that in mind at the end of a 200 hour. We are not taught that or heard that number at all. I remember sitting there like, well, wow, if I had had that perspective of it's going to, it could take that long to build what I'm doing, I would have had, the pressure would have been not there nearly as much. Yes. To, to then be somewhere else or there was multiple times where it's like oh i'm gonna do this full time because i really want to and then the whole thing of like well wait how does anybody do this full time i had no idea that there were that they, you really had to have a slow buildup. potentially some people might get there very quickly of course but sure. not expecting to get there very quickly expecting to have that thing that you're doing full time or part time still while that's getting you all the way there and also that you can still be valid if you don't want to do it full time it doesn't have to be what you do full time like that doesn't have to be the end goal but just the i just remember hearing that like wow if i would have had the perspective of like oh this is like quite a, a much longer journey that you're taking but without having any time frame or any idea of how long it could take it's like, am I just staring into infinity, never like just running in place the whole time? Is that what this is going to be like? Because that's yes. pretty miserable. Well, especially now, because when a lot of times I think the advice given to new yoga teachers is from people who came up in a different time in our industry. Like when I came up, yeah. there were 17 classes a week that I could pick up. And I did. And I taught I was teaching, I mean, this is like one of those, you know this story, but one of those yes. famous stories of like, <laughs> I was pregnant with my daughter teaching 18 classes a week and met a class with a sign to tell them I couldn't teach after my water broke, kind of like insanity. But that is what it was at that time. Yeah. And, and now that's not my experience anymore. And I'm using weekly group classes for an entirely different purpose in my career than I was, you know, 10 years ago, of course. But that's also how I'm able to go into a Fortune 100 company and make $1,000 in three hours. Like, that's just like a skill set shift based on the fact that I taught a hell of a lot of classes. And those classes don't exist anymore. There aren't likely 18 classes a week for most of you. No, no, there, there, there is not. And you also have to, I think it was maybe a little bit different at the time too, where like, in order to do that in a place like Iowa City, just thinking about population size, I'd also have to be looped up with all of these different yoga studios that all have a different culture and serve a different group of people and have different employment processes and different payment processes. And then handling and juggling that alone would be, you know, 
it, it could it would be ridiculous. Oh, absolutely. For me anyway, I have no interest in doing that. Yeah. A lot of times you hear of people nowadays who are teaching 15, 16, 18 yoga classes a week. They own, they own a yoga studio and they are the only teacher there. Like potentially I could do that at Sunlight, right? Like I could say, okay, I am teaching all, I think we're up to 19 classes a week. I'm just going to, I don't want to do that. <laughs> but that could be how I make my living. I mean, that is potential, but also we have more potential to make livings in different ways now than we ever had. There was also nothing else I could have done 10 years ago. There were no, you know, there were no research studies. There was yoga therapy wasn't a thing. Then you were just teaching as many classes as possible. Okay. So let me ask you this as one final question. What do you see for the future of yoga as an industry? What would you like to see happen as somebody who has been teaching since 2017 2018 is when you trained right so so you're in like the the early mid phase of your career here where would you like to see us go because i think a lot of us who are been in here 15 20 years we have opinions but also no idea of what could actually be the future so what do you see what do you want to see this is a really good question that i know will require deeper thought than the response I'm going to give right now. <laughs> but I think what I want to see is a different orientation in, in, in how we train. I, I think that I, I would really like to see, um, you know, as you know, as people that are listening might not know, though, a lot of my training is in the realm of community organizing and social justice. So I have access and equity on my mind all of the time when I'm thinking about trainings, but also like deep reverence for the tradition that we practice that I don't think the 200 hour model that we currently use um, really, really honors. I think that there is a lot that is missing and the way forward, I think for me would be a, a different structure. Like some people literally think a yoga teacher training should be like a four year degree before we right. can go ahead and do that, uh, before we can go ahead and teach. Um, I think that there's there's more that is needed, but I also really care about access. And I don't think that yoga absolutely has to be an academic pursuit either. Um, yeah. um, so there's a lot of, of nuance, but I think if I'm going to boil it down to something that like what I want to see in the future, I think that I would like to see a broader transparency within the trainings right off the bat about what the what the yoga world actually looks like and the fact that it is in deep flux, especially right now, and that it, it's going to continue to look different, that there has to be a balance between um, keeping people safe and having structures and guidelines and everything that we have from like the parameters around trainings while also like respecting the tradition and the fact that people come to yoga in very different ways and the last thing that's really on my mind is just kind of about how we might shift the structure away from this 200 hour 300 hour 500 hour that doesn't always mean the same thing. I think it's really, I think the inconsistencies within training is, is something like to, di to dig into. And I can see right now that I don't have a solid of answers for that question. Like, what do I want for the future is still uh, something I need to form opinions around and ideas around about what the, what I would really like to be, to be different in the space. I think that the last thing I'll say is that I really do like the, the mentorship part that you brought up. Yeah. I think that we, I think that we do have the opportunity to help teachers be more competent, confident, and uh, and secure in what they're doing, which then also lends itself out to teachers being more skilled in holding equitable space and being aware of where those inequities exist, and then also being able to keep people uh, safer because they have more skills and more understanding of, of yoga as well. Yeah. Coming in 2024 from Sunlight Yoga and Apothecary. I'm sorry, <laughs> Rebecca's mentorship program. <laughs> that sounds like a good, good project. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about this. We have been talking about you coming on the podcast for so long, and this I knew was going to be the perfect subject for you to talk about. So thank you so much. Tell everybody where to find you. Yeah, um, it was lovely being here. Uh, I am on Instagram at Zarya Yoga. Um, you can find my my website that has um, all of my offerings. I work with people one-on-one. -on -one. I also do sound healing work and I love writing about yoga and all of my musings about the world as it is. Um, that's introspectionyoga.com. Um, I do teach at Sunlight Yoga and Apothecary at, in Davenport, Iowa, um, a pretty cool space. Um, and local folks in Iowa City, uh, you can also catch me teaching weekly yoga classes at Public Space One. It is an artist collective here that we, a group of us, have um, uh, off yoga offerings that we do every week. Um, Instagram is probably the best place to, to find me for uh, yoga talking things. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Saria, for being on the podcast. Here are our key takeaways. We are often really snobby about the value of online learning versus in-person learning. We tend to make people who learn online feel like they are less than those who trained in person. And I don't know if I agree with that. Online learning makes our industry entry point much more accessible, and this is one of the huge benefits that we see to online learning in general. Now, it is uncomfortable to learn the skills to teach well in an online setting. Especially for those of us who never thought we would be teaching online, it is easy to say that online is not as good as in-person learning. But really, what we're saying is that we need to sit with the discomfort of learning a new skill set in order to share our teaching with more people. Online teaching requires us to be more prepared than we need to be in person. This means that the quote-unquote read the room technique of teaching that many of us use, myself included here, doesn't apply in an online setting. Synchronous versus asynchronous learning matters. Typically, we need to have some sort of synchronous learning in order to assure that quality teachers are coming out of training programs. But the Yoga Alliance requires very little of this. If you think that should change, make sure you tell them by reaching out at help.yogaalliance.org. Having a teacher who can guide us as we sort through yoga is critically important. Be that teacher online or in person. If you don't have that kind of relationship with someone, it would behoove you to actively seek it out. The current training model within our industry is a lot like learning to swim on the side of a pool. Make sure that you lean into mentorship after your training so that that can make a big difference in your first couple years of yoga teaching. And finally, an important quote Zaria repeated from Ava Taylor. It may take up to seven years to really get a handle on building a career as a yoga professional. Be prepared. The more we repeat this, the more we have realistic expectations for our entire industry. Now, next week, I'm sharing a conversation with Joanne Spence, the woman who literally wrote the book on trauma-informed yoga. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening, friends. I will catch you around the water cooler next time.